Well, uh, it's great prayer. Thank you um, for that, uh, Tom. We don't need to pray anymore. We just need to listen. And what we're going to do today is to uh, uh, carry on in our journey of a life worth living, looking at Mark's gospel. I have to say to you, uh, I've got the best job uh, in the church at the moment because I have had the chance to look through this passage in detail, and I'm going to share some of it with you. Um, and uh, in order to do that, we want you to get up out of your seats and grab a Bible because we're going to be reading it. Uh, but I think it's really good if you can uh, actually look at the text as we're going through because uh, there are one or two themes that there are that we're going to be looking at today, but there's so much more incidental. I just love it when we read the Bible and you think, gosh, this must be authentic. If you know the Bible back to front, you don't need a Bible, but uh, anybody else, you know, it's worth looking at. And I'm uh, going to ask Diana to come up, and in a moment, Diana, I'm just going to give some context, but uh, you come up and take your position and probably um, reduce the screen, the amber by about three feet, is that right, so that people can see you? <laughs> no, I can see. The church warden is revealed, there we go. Okay, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 9 and uh, uh, a part of chapter 10 as well. And I'll just give you a bit of context, because earlier in uh, um, Mark chapter 8, Jesus has taken his disciples away from uh, um, uh, the familiar ground around Lake Galilee, and he's taken them just a few miles uh, north to Caesarea Philippi. And that's where uh, they uh, reveal for the first time that they recognize that Jesus is the Messiah. And then Jesus talks to them about how the Messiah is not going to be what they think of a Messiah. He's going to be one who has to suffer and to die. And then in the beginning of chapter 9, uh, we have what's called the transfiguration. When Jesus takes three of the disciples, Peter, James, and John, and he takes them to a mountain. It's not described which one, but we'll see in a moment. We're probably fairly sure where it is. Takes them onto this mountain, and there he is glorified in such a way that they recognize that this is not just an ordinary human being, this is uh, Jesus. That's Mount Hermon there. We'll come to that in just a moment. Um, Mount Hermon was about 30 miles uh, uh, north of Capernaum. Okay? And uh, you can see uh, the, the, uh, the upper red arrow there, which is uh, where Mount Hermon was. Mount Hermon is the source of all the water in Israel. Um, and it comes down the river Dan, from which we get the word Jordan, and it flows into the Galilee, and then it flows down into the Dead Sea. And it's here that Jesus is transfigured. Three of the disciples are there. While this is happening, there are nine disciples who are left uh, with a bit of do-it-yourself healing, which doesn't work out. They try and uh, uh, heal a boy who has the evil spirit, and then after that, uh, they make their way uh, down to Capernaum. It's about 30 miles from the top arrow to the bottom arrow. But I have a warning to you that if you try and make this journey yourself, don't follow Google Maps. Because Google Maps takes you via Damascus, down the M5 it's called, and, then in, and that's 200 miles, far too far. But if you're walking, 
it's 30 miles, the equivalent of Camberley to Westminster. And that's about 10 hours of fairly steady walking. But I suspect that Jesus walked a lot slower uh, than three miles an hour. And the reason for that is this, that it was on the journeys between places that Jesus and the disciples were uninterrupted. When they got to a place, there was always a crowd. If you look at uh, verse 30, we'll come to the reading in a moment, Diana. Take a seat if you want to. Um, (laughs) It says, they left, uh, this is Mark chapter 9, uh, they left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus didn't want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. Okay, so you've got, this is the background. Jesus is coming back, this 30-mile journey, may have taken a couple of days at his pace, walking slowly, taking it all in, talking to his disciples. And as we know from uh, uh, this passage, it wasn't all together um, because uh, they then started chatting one to another. So I want you to imagine that this this sort of little crocodile, Jesus in the front and the other disciples talking together. And then we have uh, the first of our two readings. Thank you, Diana. And the first of the two readings is taken from Mark chapter 9, verses 33 to 37. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Okay, thank you. And then sometime later, Jesus went with his disciples south to Judea. It says that at the beginning of uh, chapter 10. Again, it's not because he needed to get to the destination only, but he wanted the time training and talking to the disciples uh, because within a few months he was going to be gone and they were going to be the only ones who were left. Doesn't that get your panic up if you were thinking about that? And this group of disciples had to understand the nature of the cross. And then perhaps he returned to Capernaum. We don't know. It says he went back into the house, and this is what happened in chapter 10, verses 13 to 16. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Okay, so let's go back to that little crocodile. You're imagining uh, there's a bunch of people coming down the road. Jesus is at the front. Jesus, who has just shared something very personal and painful with them, he's told them at Caesarea Philippi what's going to happen to him. He's told them again after the transfiguration that he's going to die. Big stuff, and they don't understand it. 
So what happens to them? Well, they engage in conversation that's not nearly as important as he would like it to be. They can't cope with the deep stuff, and so they start arguing about where they each are in the pecking order. Who's the greatest? We don't know what the discussion was, but it could well be that the three who'd been taken up to the Mount Transfiguration were saying, hey, guys, you know, you may be first, but we're first of first. You know, we're the really important ones that Jesus wants us to be there. And the other nine may have been saying, yeah, but he's left us to do the task of, uh, of uh, healing people. It doesn't matter what the argument was. The fact was that they each were trying to get their value out of being somewhat more important uh, than the others. And they came back to base. It says they entered the house. didn't say they entered a house, the house. So we can imagine that Mark, when he's uh, writing this down, uh, recognizes that there was a regular place where Jesus used to stay. And it's probably, if you look in Mark chapter 1, verse 29, it's probably the home of Peter and Andrew. They were brothers, uh, because that's where uh, Peter's mother-in-law was healed when Jesus went back there. So Capernaum has a center, and that's where they were. And Jesus asked them what they were talking about. Jesus knew what they were talking about, but he wanted to draw out of them what they were talking about. He had heard that they were talking about who's the greatest, but he didn't actually rebuke them. He just asked them, and the disciples were ashamed. You know, we're most often vulnerable to a fall when we've been specially blessed. The Mount of Transfiguration, seeing uh, a, a child healed, and you just feel like nothing could go wrong. And that's when Satan gets in and makes you feel even worse than you could ever have felt before. After the mountaintop, the valley. And then it says, Jesus didn't wait for an answer. They were ashamed. Everybody knew that he knew what they'd been talking about. And it says in verse 35, so Jesus sat down. I just love these little details. You know, why would you bother to invent that? He sat down, why? Because when rabbis, and Jesus was a rabbi, was going to say something that everyone needed to listen to, he sat down. And he called the twelve to him, even more so. Ears pinned back, something significant coming. And he took a little child, and he placed the child amongst them. What was a child doing there? Rabbis only ever spoke to their disciples and they were only ever men. What was a child doing? That's a great significance because we're going to see as we look through this passage that Jesus and children went very naturally together. And it says this, taking him, the child, in his arms it was intimate, and he said, you welcome a child like this, not pointing, a child on his lap probably, you welcome me, you welcome me, you welcome my father. Very, very powerful stuff. 
And there's a great authenticity here about the gospel. Just remember that the, the gospel was probably written about A.D. 65. Jesus, we believe, his ministry was between A.D. 30 and 33, that sort of time. So 30 years afterwards, here is Mark writing down the story of Jesus while the contemporaries, the disciples, many of them those who hadn't died by then, were the founders of the church. Now, if you're trying to establish the authority of people who are around now, you want to build them up, don't you? The disciples are always the fall guys. And it's wonderful to know that they may have been talking about who was the greatest, but they'd learned the lesson by AD 65 that actually they were not the greatest because of who they were. They were not the greatest because of how clever they were. They were the greatest because of who they had been with. And I think it's just wonderful that the disciples are able to uh, tell the story uh, against themselves because of what they had learned about Jesus. And now let's look at Mark chapter 10, those verses 13 to 16. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to touch them. His love of children was evident. But I think it's really understandable that the disciples thought, we need to be the bodyguards. This is an important man. He's got an important message. We don't want to waste him time doing a bit of jiggery-pokery blessing children. Now, instead of Jesus saying, look, guys, I understand this, you know, but um, actually we do need to bless the children, what does it say? It says Jesus was indignant. He was outraged. Poor old disciples, I'm sure I'd have got it wrong too. But he was outraged because he saw that children were a part of the kingdom of God. And they had an important part to teach the adults who'd lost the innocence of children about what it means to be part of the kingdom of God. They had become barriers and not bridges. And he says in verse 14, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not accept the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And then what happens? They had come to be touched by Jesus and Jesus did far more than that. He took them in his arms and he blessed them. Mark is believed to be the original, the first of the Gospels that was written down, and then Matthew and Luke took Mark and added some extra material. It's significant that when this story is told in Matthew and Luke, they hold back from talking about Jesus taking the children in the arms, because that's almost too intimate. Maybe the child safety laws had come in by then, you see, we can't touch the children. But they thought, no, no, this is the Son of God, you know, we can't actually... But Jesus actually was very tactile with them. He loved them. Okay, so that's, that's uh, what we read. Let's just think about what we can learn from this passage. I think we can learn two things. One is about what it means to be great people. What does it mean to be great people? I ask, if I ask for a show of hands, how many of you spend your day thinking, am I the greatest? you'd probably uh, quite rightly say it doesn't occupy my mind. But if I were to ask you, how many of you spend some time thinking, how do I rate compared to those around me, particularly the people I might consider equals? Or if I was to ask, 
how many people think, what am I proud of having achieved? What do I feel I've actually got to offer other people? Or if I was to say, how many people think, where am I in other people's pecking order? How do I rate? I think a few more hands might come up because that's where we get our value from. How we're rated. How we consider we contribute. And Jesus in this passage says, no, there's nothing of yourself that you can offer. You can just come as a child. Coming as a child, what does that mean? Well, a child is too young to have achieved anything worthwhile. A child can offer nothing. A child has no bargaining position. A child is entirely dependent. A child is vulnerable. And Jesus says, greatness comes from recognizing just that. Your worth, my worth, comes not from what I have to offer. It comes from the company that I keep. Any greatness that people see in me is reflected greatness of the one I spend my time with. There's a wonderful verse in Acts chapter 4 where it says, Now when they, that's the Jews, saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and this is it, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I had to grapple with this as I was preparing the word today because I came to this and I thought, okay, great passage, know all about this. You know, 50 years ago, I was a theology student. 45 years ago, I was uh, a lay reader. I can do this. Pack it up. Get people motivated. And if I had come with that attitude, that's exactly what you'd have got. A performance. But being with Jesus is what makes the difference. And if you think about what you've got to offer... And it all is about what you can do and what you have done, then it'll all evaporate. People recognize when we've been with Jesus. So that's the first thing that we can learn. The second thing is the importance of children. And we're going to have some more opportunities to think about this in the rest of the service. But Jesus' approach was quite out of keeping with the prevailing culture. Children were often around him. He was easy in their company. He was tactile. He wasn't condescending to them. They're not future human beings. They're here and now human beings. Seen and not heard is not one of Jesus' sayings. He says, whoever receives them, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives the Father. Children are important in their own right. So that's what we can learn And as we we, uh, draw to a conclusion now, what should we do? What can we take from this passage that will actually make a difference to our lives? What should we do about becoming great people? We should watch the company that we keep. We should spend time in Jesus' company. Now that's a sermon all in its own right. How do you do that? Well, people, different people will find different ways in which to find uh, their relationship with Jesus. Prayer is not a regulation, it's a relationship. 
Being in Jesus' company is what's important. And communion, which we're coming to today, is a really good start. Not a ritual of coming forward and then looking around and seeing who else is here. It's actually coming as dependent people saying, I have nothing to offer, but I receive with grace the goodness of God in communion. Paul, Rana and I have been away for a week, wonderful week in uh, Lee Abbey, uh, where we were learning about prayer. Wonderful. Did you know that the word silent has the same letters as the word listen? And just being alone with Jesus, just being alone in whatever company, uh, in whatever way actually motivates you, is uh, a way in which we can become a great person by the reflected glory of the one we're with. Romans 12, 12, 4 says this, No one should think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but should think with sober judgment. So how much do we define ourselves by what we think others think of us? Do we need their approval or agreement or admiration? Somebody once said we wouldn't worry half as much about what people think of us if we only realised how little they did. So become great by being with Jesus. And about bringing our children to faith, if they were important to Jesus, if those children who come through by being received are, we are receiving Jesus, what can we do? Well, we each have a part to play in putting Jesus' command not to get in their way of coming to him. Now, some of you will have a child in your life and you'll know exactly the one that you've been given to accept in the same way as accepting Jesus as a parent or a grandparent or as a close family friend. Let's ask God how we can help them to come closer to him. And if you're not a parent of young children, think of someone or a couple who is and find ways of supporting them. We're going to learn a little bit more, so I'm not going to theme on this, on how we can help our own children's work uh, within the church. But for some, that will be a calling, whether actively involved or becoming a prayer partner. We're going to hear a little more also about how we can support children in the Philippines uh, coming to faith with a cash crisis there caused by the drop in the value of the pound. All these are ways in which we can action making children an important part of our lives. So I think that's it. Over to you, Tom. But uh, may God bless us as we discover the meaning of greatness of being in his company and the value of children. Okay, thank you, Simon. So I just want to lead us in a very brief uh, time of silent reflection thinking particularly about children and then Louisa is going to come up and I'm going to ask her a few questions just about our children's ministry and how we can support it uh, right now. So let's just take a moment and invite God to reveal to us what are the opportunities with children that we have? Who are the children that we're related to that we can encourage, that we 